chapter 7. We're in the seventh chapter of Romans today, where we're going to deal with something that I really don't want to deal with. The entire seventh chapter of Romans deals with issues of struggle and death and sin and the constant pressure that's placed upon every person who lives upon this earth with trying to do good and being unable to do it consistently. So it's a fun chapter to preach on. See, Paul does not deliver us in this particular chapter, except a few times he mentions the fact that God's Spirit is going to be moving in our lives. But right now he wants us to understand this incredibly difficult truth that all of us know is true, but we resist. And the truth that he wants us to understand is this. You have within you two natures. You have a sin nature. How many of you have a sin nature? Yeah, all of you do. And it wasn't destroyed when you became a Christian. When you gave your life to Christ, your sin nature was not destroyed. It stayed with you. It was pushed down for a while in the excitement, but it jumped back up at various times. You went, where did this come from? I thought it was dead. Okay? You also have this other nature we call a spirit nature. A spirit nature. So say sin nature and spirit nature. Sin nature... Spirit nature. You have to understand this truth because until you do, you'll never be able to grow effectively and consistently as a Christian. You'll never understand the transforming power of Christ and how he can work in your life unless you get it. See, the last few chapters, Paul has walked us through issues of like condemnation versus justification. Legal terms. So we begin to understand that before the great judge of the cosmos, we have been justified legally that God has said you are not guilty he didn't say you're innocent because you're not he said you are not guilty because I have pronounced that truth because someone else took your place and provided sufficiently to provide justice okay so condemnation versus justification then he talked about separation versus reconciliation this was a relational thing He said we were separated from God, unable to have a relationship with him. And we find ourselves in this position of what's going to take place. How can we ever be reconciled back with God? And he said Jesus provides us with reconciliation, the personal relationship we now can have with God because he has provided for us, ushered us back into the room, brought us along struggling. As we said, I don't want to go there. I'm so ashamed. I know I've done wrong. But as Jesus brings us into the throne room of God the Father, he reaches out to us, draws us close, hugs us, shares his love, and pours out his grace into our life. And we are overwhelmed with this recognition that God loves me and that we've been reconciled. It's this picture many of us have with our fathers, I myself included, in which there was so much angst and anger and so much pain. The last uh, memory I have of my dad as I finished up high school was us fighting on the front lawn, literally punching each other out. He would hit me and I would hit him, and finally I ran away because I saw I was going to lose this fight. He was bigger than I was. Um, But that was the last picture of our high school memory. The next time I saw him was when he was 
getting me out of jail and sharing with me that I was going to straighten up. And my response to him was one that comes right out of this text in relationship to those who try to force the law's ideas upon you. I said to him, if that's your idea of what's going to happen, then get the heck out of here, something along that term. And I'll just get out on my own. And he said, I'm sorry. I understand. You want to be a man now. I'll help you get out and we'll work together. I said, okay. I'll go along with that. This intensity of the need for reconciliation with our Father continues with most of us. And that's the cry of Jesus, the Father God. He has reconciled us before the Father. And then he moves into this issue of legalism versus sanctification. Legalism versus sanctification. And what I mean by that is it begins to help us in chapter 6 and 7 understand that we're never going to be justified through fulfilling the requirements of the law. And we're never going to be sanctified by fulfilling the requirements of the law. That doing good will not provide you with the ability to be changed into someone good. Doing good will not provide you with the ability to become someone who is good. And that's chapter 6 and then chapter 7. He really hits on this strongly. While in chapter 6, he writes to those whose tendency is towards the extreme in grace, towards license, where he begin to say, I can do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want, and it really doesn't matter. And he says, that's not true. If you continue to serve sin, then you will become a prisoner of sin, regardless of your position of grace before God. In chapter 7, he deals with the legalists, and he says, now those of you that think that now you become a Christian and you know the law, that you can be delivered by the law, you don't understand what's going on. If you want to have a victorious Christian life, you must learn how to live by grace, with grace, pouring out grace to others, and you must not submit to the law. We're not justified by keeping the law, and we'll never be sanctified by keeping the law. You see, legalism is this belief that we may come holy and please God by obeying laws. You can't. The focus of legalism is always more on sins than on sin. It's on the fruit more than the root. It's on the outward more than the inward. It's on religion, doing things the right way, rather than relationship, having an interaction with God our Father as we discuss what's taking place in our life. Now, Romans 7 teaches us how to identify and deal with the law and legalism by teaching us, as Yoda would say, you remember the famous philosopher Yoda, right? Yeah, he said, you need to learn to see the dark side of the law. You need to learn how to see the dark side of the law. It's hard to see the dark side, right? It's very hard to see the dark side. And that's what Paul speaks to. He says, first, you must know the laws, the two laws that exist in life. And then you need to know your natures, the two natures that exist in life. There are sin's law and there are God's law. There's sin nature and there's a spirit nature. And we learn from Paul and from the scriptures that there are two laws in this universe that we have to live under, whether we like it or not that we have two natures that reside in our soul and respond to these laws. 
This law that's the written code of the law, it's clarified in the ten words we often call the Ten Commandments in relationship to justice. That's the first law. And then the second law is the unwritten law of the heart. It's about mercy and grace. He often calls these the law of the flesh or the law of the spirit. The rule of the law and the spirit of the law. You beginning to get this? Because this is so terribly important that you grasp this, and it's very, very hard to grasp. So the two natures that we have are our sin nature and our what nature? Spirit nature, okay? Sin nature and spirit nature. There are two laws that correspond to that. We'll call it the sin law and the spirit law, if you like that terminology. It's also called the flesh law. It's also called the written law. Okay, we getting it now? The spirit law is completely different. It's a law written on our hearts. While the written law's officers and judges or the conscience, the law's written out in the word of God and even God's wrath, the other law, the spirit law, is a, is a heart response. It's God's word illuminated, clarified, recognized, healing. And it's the Holy Spirit himself coming alongside to help us grasp and to mentor us and to tutor us and help us to begin to grasp the incredibly deep truths. So that's what Romans 7 deals with. Know the authority of the laws where he starts with. You've got to, first of all, when you talk about the law, know what the authority of the law actually is. And that authority is to condemn sinners. The authority of the law is to condemn sinners. Let's look at this chapter 7. We'll work through it a little bit. We'll share some more. Chapter 7, starting with verse 1. He says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters? I'm speaking to those who know the law. Do you know the authority of the law? That the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. Oftentimes, have people come to me and say, how can I get divorced? I said, all you have to do is kill your wife or your husband. And usually they say, I've thought about that. I've thought about that. So then, it says, if she has sexual relationships with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called a what? An adulteress or an adulterer if he does. It says, but if her husband dies, then she's released from the law. She is not an adulteress. She can marry another man. We get that, right? We understand that. Makes perfect sense. The only way, Paul says, you can get out from the authority of the law is to die. To die. That's it. The only way you get out from the authority of the law is to die. The law can't die, but we can. Now, notice here, the man dies, but the woman is set free to remarry. And we're shown as the woman. Why did he do that? Why doesn't he continue with the, the picture that's been clear and say, well, this one dies? And because... He's trying to reference the conundrum. Hey, I like that word. Conundrum. Like that. Conundrum. Isn't that a great word? This thing we don't understand. Just like the word. Conundrum. Hey. 
That's the conundrum of our in-between state or our limbo-like state that we live in. We're living in this limbo place as Christians. We're not under the authority of the law. We've died, but we still are under the authority of the law. I said, but you just told me I wasn't under the... Well, you're not under the authority of the law. You're under the direction of the law. And I go, help me out. He will. We're not under the law's jurisdiction or condemnation... But we're still living here with this life. We're ambassadors of another kingdom. We're not subject to the laws of this kingdom. We still have these two natures. One that still wants to respond to sin's call. And one that wants to respond to the spirit's call in this new country. Okay? Death brings relief. That's what he's saying. He's saying death Brings relief. The relief is this. In the back of our head, those of us who memorize the word of God, this is what happens. Death brings, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have died, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. I am not condemned by the law. I'm not under the authority of the law. I can use the law for its accorded purpose. Death brings relief. And this new life introduces, he calls, the new law of the Spirit. So we're under a brand new authority. We're ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We've died so that we can be released from the old authority. And that's the first part of the authority of the law in our new and the old nature. Then it goes on. So let's keep reading here. Verse 4. So, and we already understood these other things, my brothers and sisters, you died to the law. Through the body of Christ, so that you might belong to another. There was a reason for that death. To him who was raised from the dead, in order that you might bear fruit for God. You could circle that. Bear fruit for God. That's the intention. That's why we died, so we could bear fruit for God. We didn't die so that we could just have a great time and now we can be, pleasure can be ours, even though we get to have a lot of pleasure. But he said the purpose of your dying was so that now you can bear fruit for God. For when we were in this realm of the flesh and the sinful passions, these were aroused by the law that was at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. We were bearing fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the spirit, the way of the spirit, not the old way of the written code. Catch the spirit, law, written code, unwritten I, I want you to catch that he's trying to do this. He can be very difficult to understand. Paul's trying to help us grasp a truth that is, is not of this world. And that's why it's difficult for him to put it down in words for you. The Spirit will help you identify it as you begin to work it through. There's an unwritten code. And there's a written code. We need to serve in the new way. It's the Spirit's. Not the old way, the written code. You see, you were adopted by the Holy Spirit after you died. And you were reborn. Now, as Yoda would put it, you can see the dark side. You can see the dark side and refuse to follow it. See, before I couldn't see the dark side. I knew it was there, but I couldn't see it. I couldn't recognize it. I was like, I don't really get what's going on. I don't understand what this is all about. Now I can see it. You were buried with Jesus. Baptism is our visible example. You'll see that happening here at the end of the month. This picture of burial with Christ. 
raised on a newness of life. You died and you're raised up to do a brand new life. The old has been pushed away. But we're taught that the old nature responded, interestingly enough, to the clarification of right and wrong with the stirring up of sin with wrong motivations and wrong reasoning because of our sinful nature. I call this the I want to be right nature, not the I want to be good nature. I want to be right more than I want to be good. And he tells us the law stirs up within us this sinful responsiveness when it's brought to us. And we say, you were wrong. And our response to that is, Get closer. Come on. Get over. We began angry. We're upset. Something rises up within me. I'm going, what's going on in me? What's happening here? That's a sinful passion, that old nature that says, I want to be right. And even we start going, where'd that come from? We're trying to push it back down. But it's rising up inside of us. He says, that's what the law does when it says, you were wrong. You don't respond with the, oh, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. No, we respond with that. Who do you think you are to tell me? And away we go. You getting it? That's what he's talking about. He said, that's the struggle with the law. The law does not bring life. It brings death. Paul is saying the law of trying to do good should be dead to us. Recognize its insidious nature. You can't be good. Turn to the person next to you and say, I can't be good. Go ahead. Hopefully it's not your son or daughter. I can't. I can't be good. And that's the struggle within us. I can't be good. It's that I can do it by myself. You saw it. You saw it right here up front earlier, didn't you, with the little guy? We're working with him. Come on. Come on, man. You can do this. I cannot. Yes, you can. I don't want to be good. This kid's reflecting me. What's going on? You know, that's the struggle going on within us. We can't do good. Jesus said, only God can do good. Why do you call me good? Only God can be good. You're saying I'm God. You're right. But his point was. We don't have goodness in us. We have sin within us. That struggles to come out. That's waiting to jump on us. Our flesh nature gives us this prideful, I can do it. But our flesh cannot serve God. Even when it appears to be good, it has hidden agendas, hidden motives. Those two natures, the sin and the spirit, they're active. We need not not to call one another to do better. We need to call one another to death with Jesus and to a journey with His Spirit. And that is so hard because I want to tell you what to do. See, that's in me. I want to tell you what to do. I know what's right and you don't. I know it. And that's not my call. My call is for you to... Turn to Jesus. Find out what he can do in your life. Bring about that transforming power. It's wondrous when he does it because I'm only as good as I am because of the change that he's brought into me. That's the only reason I got what good I have is the change that he started with and kept going with. It's so frustrating at times because I want to be good. I so want to be good. But there's something within me 
that wants to be bad. And oftentimes that bad overrules my good. Our spirit can walk with God with our new motivation to love and to release God's grace. This new spirit is all about reminding ourselves that we've been justified, that we've been reconciled, that we are being sanctified. And death brings relief. So Jesus said, we must every day take up our what? Cross. Deny our self and follow him. That's the death. That's what Paul is speaking to. That's what he's addressing. So the question of how can we do right? How do we serve the authorities of the law of the spirit? It's I must do all things through Christ who enables me. And not in my own flesh, not in my own ideas, not in my own wisdom. But as God works through me and I see him doing wondrous things, pointing out his grace and him getting credit for all the good that happens. You died with Jesus, Paul says. You were buried with him, a seed in the ground. And the reason that happened was so you could bear new fruit. He'll produce this new fruit through you that you are unable to do in your flesh, but God will do it anyway. The new nature that can hear both the right and the wrong. And we find ourselves allowing the Holy Spirit and his transforming power to change us. And the cry of God over and over is no condemnation, no condemnation, no condemnation, much commendation, much commendation. Let me illustrate it. We're living under the law and we're trying to be good. It's like a guy who points out someone's sin and his need to deal with it. This would be me. And the result's a fist fight. So I come up to John. I say, you know, John, you need to straighten up. John says, oh, yeah? And I said, yeah, I am really, I'm sick of watching you sin. I love you, man. But you've got to stop this now. Quit this constant drinking. John says, Hey, didn't you hear me? He said, oh, I heard you. And then he pours it on my head. Boom. And we're in the middle of it. And we're fighting. And I fall down and hit my head and I die. John goes to jail for the rest of his life. And that's the picture of how law treats us. Can't wait to get you in jail. Can't wait to kill you. Grace doesn't respond that way. Grace comes alongside the person and builds a relationship with the person. Cares enough to make a difference. And then as we're together, I go, John, I notice you, know, you seem to, to be drinking a lot. Why do you think that is? And he says, I'm just depressed. I don't know. I guess it's just something I do whenever I get depressed, I drink. I said, really? Let's pray about that. Let's ask God to kind of work in this area. John says, Okay, and we pray, and God starts this transforming power, and his life is changed. And you know who gets the credit? Jesus, yeah. Not me. Jesus does. And Jesus turns to me, you know what he says? Good job, Lee. Good job. Send them to me. You don't do so good. I know, Lord. You send them to me. I'll transform. That's the cry of grace 
as opposed to the cry of the law. You see, the only authority or power the law was given was to condemn sinners, never to save, to condemn them. And everything it touches dies. Everything it touches dies. And everything to do with the law does that. So the question Paul says, so then you're going, well, uh, then the law must be sinful. And he goes on to say, well, you need to know what the ministry of the law is. It's not that the law is sinful. The ministry of the law was to reveal sin. That's the ministry of the law. That's the intention of it. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? No. But I wouldn't have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I wouldn't have known what coveting was if the law hadn't said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me this overwhelming types of coveting. See, the law was helpful. It clarified right, what right was, what wrong was. And we said, okay, I get it. But then our sin nature began to twist it around and spin it. We saw that coveting was wrong. So I said, you know, I'm not going to covet anymore. I'm going to give a free gift to my grandson. Okay, so I, I, got to, I just want to give you this free gift. So I gave him this special free gift. And after I gave it to him, I began to wonder in the back of my head, well, why didn't you give him something bigger? Why did you only give him $50? You're kind of cheap, aren't you? Why didn't you give him $200? And what about the other grandson? Did you take care of him? No, you didn't. In fact, you're kind of a jerk. What's the real reason that you actually even did that? Why did you give him that money? You did it so that he would look to you and say, You are so wonderful, Grandpa. I love you, Grandpa. You did it for the hugs and the kisses. That's what. Do you see what's happening? Coveting. She exposed the sin in me. It stirred it up. And in the midst of me trying to do something good, it became horrible. And that's what he said the law did. The law pointed out how sinful sin is that it actually uses the law to cause me to commit more sin. To cause me to commit more sin. Like a magnet that attracts metal shavings, our sinful nature attracts Sin. If you stir it up, it gets worse. It's like a beehive. Stir it up and suddenly you're stinging everywhere. Like me trying to get things right after I make a mistake, commenting about my wife's beauty. I was saying something like, if you wear something like that, you won't look as skinny as you normally do. She said, excuse me? Uh, Well, honey, what I I meant to say was, no matter what you wear, you look great. Excuse me? And no matter what I did, I just kept digging deeper. I couldn't get out of trouble. That's what sin does. That's what that nature does. It stirs up this coveting. It makes it worse than ever. You see, sin wanted to do to be right more than the Spirit wanted to show love. Sin wanted to be right more than the Spirit wanted to show love. So Paul says, for apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang up and I died. I thought I was doing fine. I was living by faith. Then the clarity of my wrong stepped out of the darkness and my old cancer that I thought was dead came back out of remission. It sprang to life and I started to die again. I found that the very commandment, Paul says, that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin 
seizing the opportunity that was brought by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. Because the law always kills. It never heals. It always kills. It'll try to deceive you, make you think you could do this. And then it will stab you in the back. Think of that cancer area and radiation that's supposed to kill all the sin cells. But anyone that knows anything about radiation with cancer knows it also kills all the other cells. There's the reason we lose our hair. The reason we lose our functions in the midst of this thing. But we say, well, at least it's better than dying. But that's Paul's crime, Romans 7. He's saying, the law kills. It doesn't heal. It will overwhelm us with the recognition that even when we try to do good, evil is present and part of the transaction. So then the whole law is holy. The commandment is holy. It's righteous. It's good. But did that which is good then become death to me, cause me to die? Well, by no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly, totally sinful. So that we might see how terrible sin really is. The law of sin, right and wrong, helps us to see that we couldn't actually be good enough to live life with love and mercy. Then the law showed us that sin is so bad that it uses the law to accomplish its evil, to help accomplish it. It's like a a bad judge or a corrupt cop. We walk in expecting to get justice. Instead, all we got was thrown into jail for something we didn't do. You see, the ministry of the law is to expose sin and to show us how evil sin really is. That's the ministry of the law. It's like a video that in gruesome detail shows the serial killer torturing people, shows it to his mom who says he was always such a good boy. He was always such a good boy. You are not a good boy. And you are not a good girl. And that is the reality of our sin nature. I don't like this chapter. I don't like it. It's irritating. Okay, so we find out. The authority of the law condemns sinners. And I'm one. Oh, great. Thank you, Lord. Okay. We need to die in order to be released from it. The ministry of the law is to expose sin and show us how awful sin really is because we tend to rationalize it. Well, it wasn't that bad. Yes, it is. And it'll get worse. It'll get worse if you continue to yield to it. The last thing he says, you need to know the incapabilities of the law. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. You see, the problem isn't the law, it's me. It's my inability to use it to change my dark, dark heart. Sin short-circuits the power of the law to bring about change. Paul says, I don't understand. I don't understand what I want to do, I don't do. What I hate to do, I do. If I'm doing what I don't want to do, then I agree the law is good. 
as it is. It's no longer I myself who's doing it. It's like sin that's living in me is doing it. I know that the good itself doesn't dwell in me, at least in my sinful nature. He's not saying you don't have good in you. All of you have a lot of good in you, but your sinful nature has no good in it. All he wants to do is to kill you, destroy you, and take everybody with him. Okay, your sinful nature is a suicide bomber. He wants to hug you. Okay, that's what he's doing. So you better, Paul is saying, recognize this, don't kid yourself, don't fool yourself. That is what's going on. I know the good inside me does not dwell in me. Nothing good in my sinful nature. I have the desire to do good, but I can't carry it out. I I, I don't do the good I want to do. I do the evil I don't want to do, and I keep on doing it. So sin keeps short-circuiting our desires. Our sinful nature stops it from accomplishing what it wants to do because you can't build love with the tools of the law. You can't do it. It's impossible. So who can save me from this futility, Paul says. He says that's the point of the law. The law is supposed to tell you you can't do it by yourself. You never could and you never will. And that's why it's so extreme. God wants you to understand how evil... Sin is. It is a serial killer. It will tear your limbs apart one by one. It will eat your flesh alive. It will rip your heart right out. And it will think nothing of it. There is no mercy. None. It is sin. It is ugly. It is awful. The law cannot enable us to do good. But it can help us to understand why we are bad. It's hard to see the dark side. It's hard to accept the dark side. Paul says, now I get it. If I do what I don't want to do, it's not really me who's doing it. It's sin, my sin nature living in me that does it. So I've got this law in me that although I want to do good, evil is always right there with me. In my inner being, my spirit, I delight in God's law. But there's another law that's working in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner to the law of sin. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who can rescue me from this body that's subject to death? The law can't set me free. It only informs me of my heart disease and laughs about it. It doesn't heal, it kills. And when I try to use it, sin infections come out of the operation and I'm worse off than ever before. What can I do in the flesh? Nothing. You can't outrun yourself. You can't outrun yourself. So what do we do? Paul says, thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So we learn that we have to wait on the Lord. We have to rest in his grace. We have to allow him to change us with his transforming power rather than to try desperately to change ourselves. Because in the midst of that trying to change ourselves, 
we come face to face with sin, and sin always wins. Always. But when we come face to face with Jesus, Jesus always wins. You see, we have to deal with the flesh and sin. We have to deal with our spirit and truth. We have to deal with, deal with pleasure and with purpose. With these two natures, sin and spirit, and these two laws, sin and spirit. And so while we are here, Paul is saying this. We are living in limbo. Say, I am living in limbo. I am living in limbo. Because we are. See, we're living in this in-between state. Well, it's not the limbo that the Catholic term means. It actually comes from limbus, meaning the edge of hell. But it's limbo in that we are in between. I have died, but I still live. My flesh is still here and I'm waiting and crying out as Paul says, I can't wait till the day that I can leave this flesh so that I can encounter the living God and have the change that I desperately need to no longer have to deal with sin and its nature that lives in me. It's hard to see the dark side. It's hard to recognize when it comes. Well, this week I saw it a number of times. I recognized it because I'm so busy studying it that when it jumped up, I went, uh-oh. There it is again. I didn't even realize that's what it was. But then I figured it out. I went, oh, Lord. My wife said, you know, honey, you need it. And whoa. I, I was like, whoa, that was interesting. Defensive, defensive. The dark side. And Jesus said, I want to walk with you. Lee, it's time for you to die so you can live again. And you come before Jesus and say, oh, Lord Jesus, please forgive me for what I've done. Cleanse me from this sin and don't allow it to overtake my life. Take me as yours and spirit, take control. I give it to you now. I ask that in Jesus' name. And that becomes our prayer. Oh, not daily. Sometimes not even hourly. Sometimes it's minute by minute by minute. And that's the cry of God. That's what we mean by we say we live, we die, we live again. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Transforming me, pouring out his grace into my life. And encouraging me to pour out that grace to others around me. Okay? Romans 7. What do we learn? Simple. Two laws in this cosmos. Two natures in our souls. The authority of the sin law was given to condemn sinners. The authority of the spirit was given to save them. The ministry of the sin law was to point out sin. And help us understand how bad it really is. The ministry of the spirit was to destroy sin's power and to set us free. Lastly, the sin law is unable to save us, to change our hearts. Its sole purpose was to point us to the need for our Savior, the holiness of God, to cry out for grace, to be reconciled, to be sanctified by the very Spirit of God. That's what Romans 7 is all about. And one last thought. I hate to leave this with you. I'm going to. 
your sin nature is still with you. And you know what he's doing? He's waiting for a chance to grab you. He's waiting for an opportunity to stir it up. Because that's what he does. Until God comes, we're living in between. We're living in limbo. Waiting. With our flesh and our spirit, with our mind and our spirit, and we cry out to God. And we begin to realize, I can't wait to get home. When sin will no longer be watching and waiting for me to fail. But for now, we die to our self-nature, our sin nature, and we choose to follow Jesus. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I can wait. As he helps me to become all that I need to be. Because he leads me and he makes me lie down. Goodness and mercy follow me. And no matter how bad it gets, I know I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever gives up his life for the sake of Jesus will gain it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God who changes lives. That you are the God who calls us to a relationship And not a new religion. Who takes each one of us one by one. And reminds us that you love us deeply. And that you would give anything to help us become the person that you made us to be. And the person we want to be. So Lord, today... We ask that you'll help us to see the dark side and to reject it. To stand in your spirit, to walk in it, and to allow your son to change us in his time in accordance with his direction. Lord, we yield to you. We recognize our sin. We admit it. And we ask you to forgive us for that sin and be our Savior. And we also ask that you might be our Lord. Lead and guide. This day, hear our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name.